Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Happy Feast of the Visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary to her cousin Elizabeth. It's a feast day where we could go in so many directions talking about Our Lady, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to unpack a little bit of it, especially from the perspective of how easy it is uh, for us to get wrapped up in ourselves and how Our Lady shows and the fact that she's brand new to being pregnant. And what does she do? You know, many women experience severe morning sickness, uh, or at least she was in a state of shock given the circumstances she was experiencing. And instead of focusing and uh, narrowing in on her experience and, and just kind of becoming self-indulgent, what was going on in her life, she turns and looks out. She turns and goes to her cousin Elizabeth, who she's learned is also pregnant, to help care for her. Uh, so there's a lot to learn, especially about the virtues of Our Lady. Have you ever thought about the virtues that Our Lady embodies? Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later on during the show. I'm also going to talk about a lie that is being used by the pro-abortion movement in the media to deregulate abortion, to pass laws laws and push them through the legislature that would lead to woeful injustices toward women when it comes to the way the abortion procedure itself would be regulated or allowed. So much to say there, but it relates to the question and debate that is fuming right now, centering around if the claim is, is that if abortion is legal, women who have miscarriages will be punished for having experienced the loss of a baby. That simply isn't true. And we're going to get to the bottom of this today. We'll talk about some of those names that you may have heard of over the last few years, such as Brittany Pula and others in their stories where there were legal cases and people are trying to use these to claim that women who have miscarriages are punished under the law and will be especially under pro-life states. So we'll set the record straight here on Trending. Also, you may have heard the news about our Lord um, in the tabernacle uh, where our Lord was stolen and I just strewn in the, his presence of the Eucharist throughout a church. We're going to talk about, you know, what is our reaction to this? Do we believe in Jesus Christ truly being present in the Eucharist? And how did we perhaps react when we heard this? And what can we learn about our faith and growing in our devotion to the Eucharist? I'll be touching on all of this a little later on Trending. Joining me now is Father Martin Connor. Father Martin Connor, you can find at wiredtolove.com. He's a national vocation director 
director for the Legionnaire of Christ. He's written a book on dating along with others. We'll include a link in the podcast notes and on social media. And also he hosts a podcast focusing on these topics. Today we're going to dive into this essential topic centering around love and how it's essential for our happiness. Father Martin Connor, welcome to Trending. Thanks, Tamari. Appreciate the invitation. Let's talk about this first fundamental idea because we usually talk about happiness every week on Mondays here in Trending, and I guess mm. we skipped our happy mm-hmm. hour, so it was fitting that you're joining us on a Tuesday because I know I love to kind of start the week off focusing on that question of happiness and ultimately joy. And in your work as a vocations director, especially as a priest for many years, you've seen where people are searching for happiness And you imagine have also seen that bridge between the secular world, you know, jobs, career, dating relationships, and then Christianity and our Catholic faith. What is most essential to achieve what so many people are looking for? Yeah, I mean, Timur, these questions are age old, right? They never really stop in the human heart. And so the desire for happiness, as you said, is kind of like the... That is the question. How am I, how am I going to be a happy person? How am I going to be fulfilled and content in this world? And there are a lot of different recipes out there that aren't working. And it wasn't just in my vocation work uh, these last years, but I've done all kinds of things as a priest. I've worked with high school students and college students. I've done marriage preparation. I've done lots and lots of spiritual direction and preached retreats. And over and over again, you know, those questions of what's going to, feel my heart come up, right? They come up in, a, mm-hmm. in, in many spiritual contexts, but they also, in the, in the basic human realities, come up of, of happiness. So it really, it, uh, it's the fundamental question. How am I, how am I going to be happy? So one, over and over again, you, you see this question and, and that desire for happiness, and you, you have to look outside yourself and try to say, all right, well, who are the people happiest around me? Right, and I think that's that's kind of crucial um, for, uh, for for the culture, for our young people today, and for believers, because uh, I, I, I fundamentally believe that our faith is incarnational, and that means if you don't see it, it's tough to believe in it, right? And that's why the communion of saints uh, is so absolutely critical for us that that we have these men and women who preceded us. And we have those who are left and to, to our right who are trying to aspire to a holiness of life. Because when you see the life of Christ incarnate, in fact, that, that's when it becomes believable. And that's when happiness uh, it becomes a reality. Because you, you see joy, you see contentment, you see peace. And I, it's all linked, as we already know, uh, from our, own, our, our Lord's own mouth. You know, um, I command that you love one another that uh, the, the gift of self to another person, be it your spouse or your neighbor or your brother or sister, uh, truly is ultimately what is going to fulfill us. And so my, my book and my podcast really is all centered on kind of having a conversation around that, the day-to-day grind of loving one another, of loving one another in a, in a healthy way and, and the, the pitfalls of that, but also the, the victories. And, and the shining examples of, again, of those around us that, that we look to that are, are really living it and that, that, that inspire us to do the same. 
It always fascinates me, Father Connor, how when we look back to the great philosopher that has mm. been fundamental in uh, shaping much of our understanding of bridging Christian moral theology when it comes to relationships and friendships and virtue and uh, the pursuit of happiness goes back predating Christianity as the Greeks were sitting here trying to understand, you know, the meaning of life and what it means to be mm. live a happy and fulfilled life. And Aristotle wrote the book, The Nicomachean Ethics. And in that book, you know, he's ultimately answering the question of happiness. And what he points to is friendship and friendship requiring virtue and virtue being what is necessary to allow us to have wholesome relationships. And I think that for many people, they know they're searching for friendship, uh, but they're missing the best ultimately relationship they're looking for. And that is God. And how when we get that right first, all the other relationships will settle down. It's kind of this return to the garden that we saw with Adam and Eve. They had a good, pure, clear relationship between one another prior to the fall. But after that, all of a sudden there was this idea of, oh, I need to put fig leaves on. Oh, I can mm. accuse you of betraying me or being the cause of this sin. But when you were talking just a moment ago, about those three ideas of contentment, peace, and joy. That's what everyone's looking for. And you can't get back to that ultimately without Christianity. Aristotle may have scratched the surface on virtue and friendship, but he was still missing ultimately what pointed to needing God to sustain you in that. Right, right. My, the, the, the power of grace. We, we, yes. we run into the frailty of our human nature. And and the uh, you know the the problem that I, I I can't love very well like love is tough it stretches me and and if I if I again if I'm not surrounded by people who are actually loving me and there's this uh, as you said a community of friends around me which is so fundamental for for healthy dating um, then it's going to be tough because they in fact are modeling the way for you and you hopefully are for them and having uh, people around you like that makes loving easier for sure at least you're, if you're trying to form that habit in your life right so you're right you're dead on the community this life-giving community of friends is so fundamental to to discovering your need your your desire for self-gift and and but also uh, long term what it's going to take to find it in your own life you know i.e in marriage or or, or long-lasting relationships mm -hmm. And it's in our families too. I mean, that's why we start in a community of families, and that's where it starts. It's where we first learn, you know, the relationships. You know, sticking with relationships even through the good times and the bad. Let's talk about how love is essential to our human and spiritual growth. A lot of people talk about, you know, self improvement, and there are all these books on this. Yet Christianity, mm. for many people, even people of faith, tends to be left out of that process of self improvement. So how does this conversation bridge into that self-improvement movement today that's also ultimately a desire and need for spiritual growth, which is all about our whole self. That is our human development. Right, right. Well, Timory, what, what, to kind of harken back to what you were saying about the Greeks, you know, uh, I, I quote Socrates quite often because he says the unexamined life, remember, is not worth mm -hmm. living. So yes. my, my two books, my, my, my last two at least, the dating book, this recent one, and then my book on emotional chastity, Reclaiming Love, Connecting the Head and Heart, are all, all begin with that principle of, of self-knowledge. 
And I think it's critical to start there because, like you said, we are in a, a very strong movement of self-development. And I, I do see it as a journey of the heart. People are trying to figure this out and they're trying to understand themselves. I think it's a healthy thing. What you're getting at, and I wholeheartedly agree, is it brings you to a point where you have to then entrust your life, as AA would say, right, to, to the higher power. Like, I can't do this. I, I am proud. I am vain. I am laziness. You, you, you begin to realize that you have significant um, faults, right? And, and I, you, you begin to, you could become hopeless and, and powerless and realize I, 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 I'm trying to be better, but something's not right here. And that's, that's where you kind of have to become humble and realize, hey, I've got to entrust this over to a, a power that's greater than myself. And, and, and hopefully that leads to an encounter with Jesus Christ, which then takes it from there into the life-giving sacramental system of the church and, and beyond, right? Mm -hmm. I think of how you mentioned Socrates and the unexamined life is not worth living. Um, that statement reminds me in many ways of a trend in this self-improvement uh, culture that we live in where, you know, especially I've seen this among young men, uh, millennials down where Jordan Peterson has really spoke into the lives of many young men. Mm. I'm talking about the clinical psychologist and one of his uh, pieces to the puzzle is he talks a lot about journaling and documenting your life and he's bringing people back into this reflective state to help them mm. grow. Mm. Where do you think, uh, how do you think we've lost that reflection in our society? Why do you think Jordan Peterson's method of essentially journaling again has been helpful? And how can we reintegrate that and helping us in that spiritual growth and understanding and growing in love? Right, right. Well, back to the Greeks, um, uh, we, we know that the human person, uh, by, by our very uh, intellectual nature, is a higher being. And, and what does that mean? It means we have the capacity for self-reflection. And that is, that is a gift uh, that is from God. Obviously, we, we image our Lord. Uh, but it, it, is a, it is a gift that has been seriously stifled in a culture of noise and distraction. That um, I mean, I see this all the time in, in, in my retreats. Right? We do, I only do, uh, the legionaries only preach silent retreats because we, we just realize people have to get disconnected. They have to detox from the noise in order to hear themselves and then obviously hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So I think what we, what we have, and Jordan Peterson is kind of touching on it, is we have a Christ very, um, in, in the very human reality of human beings. Like, what is it? to be human today and essentially it is about reflection and the capacity to go in, into ourselves and know who we are and know why we exist and know our purpose and all of those things and that won't come unless there is silence and reflection in our lives so i think his calling to young men in this case to to uh reflect and to take time to journal is just an exercise a much needed exercise for guys to slow down get off their phones so to speak and let, let their minds be human again. Mm -hmm. There's a book that came out oh, maybe a little more than five years ago by Cardinal Seurat, The Power of Silence Against the Dictatorship mm, of Noise. No, well. Oh my goodness. It, it spoke to my soul because we live in a culture. I'm a millennial. You know, I was there. I had, you know, one of the first iPhones. Uh, cell phones were, you know, part of my upbringing, you know, the, the, 
kind of loudness of music that we always had surrounding us that has become such a norm. The noise is always there. Marketing campaign. There's always a slogan being thrown in your face, a tune that matches a marketing ad. You know, we've seen in some of the studies that millennials are the most advertised to generation. That's part of that noise. It's digital noise. It's visual noise. It's in your ears. Mm. And that book was so profound because it was talking about regaining and refocusing on that silence and what that looks like. And I think it's so necessary because I think we do sometimes think that we get away, that we have that silence. We get away from the noise and distraction, as you say, but it's superficially, it's for a brief moment we go, oh, I took a sigh of relief and now I can get back to Mm, it. But what you think you're pointing to is it's something that we need more often so that we don't leave ourselves in this culture that really does push in in the direction as you've referred to, a superficial love um, that's really preventing us from getting into the deepest desires we have as human beings. Right, right. I think one of the points there, Timory, regarding the culture and and, um, the distraction of it is the immediacy, right, of of our culture. Like, we we know it. With one click, we get whatever we want in our and and what we're dealing with regarding to be fundamentally human and growing as human beings is something that demands investment. It demands stretching yourself for another person, for something greater than yourself. And that it, that's not immediate. That takes time, and that that grows over. Uh, 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 like I, like I said, an, an investment period, a process, and and so we're so not used to that because our culture is so immediate that when it comes to love, for example, and and growing in character, uh, which are are, are are foreign terms, at least in in a classical sense, um, mm-hmm. we're not used to it, and, and we want the quick fix, we want the immediacy, and it's not going to happen, and we get disappointed, and we get um, you know discouraged, and we're we're unwilling to keep at it, and. And that's why I think community is going to be so crucial for learning self-gift love is because you have people that are around you, these friends that you mentioned, these, these friends who love you for who you are and not for what you give them. And that, that community is what keeps you motivated to continually invest yourself and build those habits and become the man or the woman that God's calling you to be. And that's, that's why it's so fundamental to learn love within a community, be it the domestic church, your own family, or your own parish community, or beyond, uh, like some of these new movements that are happening in the church, because people are so, so starving for that type of relationship. Mm-hmm. And the isolation, the loneliness, the depression, the anxiety, even the suicide rates, all of this is a point to we are hungry for something. We're hungry for God who teaches us how to love, how to be human, and how to enter into that communion of persons, which he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we are called to in our relationships as well. Joining me now is Father Martin Connor. You can find him at wiredtolove.com. He's a National Vocation Director for the Legionnaires of Christ, and he has a booklet, a handful of books, but one of his most recent is the dating booklet. Father, we're talking much in theory, but also practically. We're talking about how friendships, those relationships with our family, uh, these are so important for teaching us how to love, helping us experience that love, that peace through the hard work of friendships and relationships. But I think many people say, okay, all of this sounds great in theory. 
And I think sometimes this is the reason why people don't stick with studying true philosophy and theology is because they just want the how. What are the easy steps? Mm. You know, we're saying community mm. is one of them, but how do we get past some of the theory for those who maybe aren't reading between the lines to draw their own conclusions, to self-reflect? You know, how can we draw those conclusions? those conclusions to help others self-reflect on how you get to that deeper and more persistent uh, place of abiding peace and love and contentment mm. and joy. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Timur, I, I, I don't think we should complicate it. Right. I mean, I was a division one sports athlete myself. And so I know what it takes to be good or even excellent at a sport. And so I'm speaking to a culture that totally gets that. Right. If you're going to be a good uh, basketball player, if you're going to be a good dancer, if you're going to if you're going to do anything well, it's going to take blood, sweat and tears. We, we know we, we witnessed it with people around us. Maybe we witnessed it ourselves. And so why why should we think that the spiritual life or the life of grace or the life of building a strong character or holiness, essentially, that's what the gospel calls us to, is going to be any different? And I think it. it understanding what the human person is uh first um how we are wired like wired to love right like the, the name of my podcast so my my the book on uh emotional chastity which is called reclaiming love begins all do i know who i am as a person do i know the key components of my humanity right and and growing in who i am you then move into a second phase is okay well i know something's not quite right because uh, trying to set goals or trying to be consistent or trying to persevere is very difficult, as it would be in sports, right? And then when you get to loving another person, which is essentially what we're called to, it becomes, you know, extremely difficult. And that, again, like I, I already reiterated, there's a moment where you come face-to-face -face with yourself and you realize, you know, you, you become to realize, wow, there, there, the, the, I'm not the person I want to be. And there's people around me that are calling me, to a higher, a, a higher plateau, and they're being called to a higher plateau through Jesus Christ. And that's where that, uh, that awakening comes to, to holiness, to, to seeking something uh, that, that is noble and good and true. So I, I think this process of first working on yourself, like, so, like I said, I'm not, I'm not against the self-development culture because I do think it's pointing to this inadequacy that we have, but hopefully getting to a point where people will take the jump to something greater than themselves. I keep repeating because uh, in your, in our own selves, self of self, we just know we're not, we're not going to complete the picture. Right. So I, I just think beginning the journey uh, will teach you and then uh, doing it with someone else uh, teaches you even more. And then in, in those first two steps, generally God's going to appear. And then that's when it, it becomes really a ride, a real adventure when God gets involved. I think something you shared was so important that happiness ultimately isn't found in success or achievement, that we discover this in truth and holiness and in community. And as we have all of these self-improvement tactics and all of these you know, five steps to happiness, at the end of the day, we are 
human beings created with a purpose, made to be with God and made for community. And that's where, you know, the answer is how do we get there? How do we figure out this happiness question in the face of our desire for love? It's community, truth, and holiness, which is all rooted and discovered in God. And that requires studying. That just requires self-reflection. That's been Father Martin Connor here on Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. You can find him at wiredtolove.com. We've posted links to his website along with some of his books. We highly recommend that you check those out. Father Martin, it's been so wonderful having this conversation, diving into the depths of love and human happiness. I'll be back. It's the feast day of the visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary to her cousin. What does Our Lady teach us about virtue? So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was present in the tabernacle that was stolen from a Catholic church in New York this week? I ask that question because many of us struggle with the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And our reaction to hearing that this tabernacle was stolen on one side could be, frustration and upset and outrage that anything was stolen from a Catholic church. But shouldn't it be different given that this was a tabernacle that housed our Lord Jesus Christ? You thought about it? Let's talk about that a little bit later on. Why is the Eucharist the source and summit of our Catholic faith? What is our reaction to the attacks on our churches, but now the sealing of the Eucharist and, in this instance, the tabernacle? We'll be back to talk about that in just a moment. Also, there's an argument made today that is very common. That is, if abortion is illegal— or when pro-life laws are passed, women who have miscarriages will be punished by the law or, or are already being punished. Some people are claiming that women who are having miscarriages were experiencing the loss of a baby, that they are being prosecuted. Is this true? I'm going to set the record straight because these arguments and the names you're hearing, such as Brittany Pula from Oklahoma and other women who they're claiming were punished for having miscarriages, And again, we'll get to the bottom of this. They're using these stories to push forward pro-abortion legislation and to make laws that are outrageous in deregulating abortion, making abortion even more unsafe for women, and in fact making it so that if a woman were to kill her baby after birth, after birth, that she and anyone who aids and abets her would not be held culpable. And they're using the claim that women who have miscarriages are being punished under the law to, cl- to claim that this is why these laws need to be passed. We'll set the record straight in just a minute here on Trending. It's the feast day of the Blessed Virgin Mary in her visitation to her cousin Elizabeth. We read about this in Luke chapter 1. One of the best ways to celebrate a feast day is to go to church because usually you will hear the readings at Mass that often center around the saints and stories and the liturgical seasons that we are in. And here we are at the visitation 
of Mary to her cousin Elizabeth. So many things that could be discussed here from the presence of the Holy Spirit to Zachariah's doubt to John the Baptist sanctification, the womb, I, many, many things. But I want to read to you a little bit from the story of the visitation and specifically talk about Our Lady from the perspective of the virtues that she embodies and the fact that just think for a moment she just found out that she is miraculously pregnant. She's a young teenager. Her whole life is changed. I don't know about you when I experience something shocking, surprising, whatever it might be, it's easy to kind of turn in on yourself and just think and obsess and run through this. My first thought would not be to go and travel many, many miles, an arduous journey via donkey while also experiencing potentially morning sickness, because remember our ladies in the earliest stages of her pregnancy, to then go and take care of an elderly relative who's pregnant. That would not be my first go-to, but what can we learn by the fact that this is exactly what the Blessed Virgin Mary did? Well, let's read a little bit from the story. We know in Luke chapter 1 that the angel Gabriel has just appeared to Our Lady, and he is telling her that she's filled with grace and she'll conceive by the Holy Spirit. Our Lady gives her consent, and part of the parting message from the angel Gabriel is that also, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth has been found pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. That, that has got to be a draw dropper for Mary because Elizabeth has been known to be barren. Um, Elizabeth is older, an older relative of Mary. Uh, some of the tradition and the belief and some of the research is, you know, someone might say, well, why would Mary go to visit her older cousin uh, to go and help take care of her? Well, part of the idea in the tradition of the church is that Elizabeth and Zachariah's home, especially Zachariah uh, being a priest, that the Virgin Mary, when she was a young child would have actually spent time, especially when she was younger, living with Elizabeth and Zachariah in their home because the tradition holds that Our Lady was a temple virgin, that from a very young age she was serving in the temple. And so where would she live? Well, she would have lived with very likely close family. That's one of uh, the perspectives on this relationship with Elizabeth. And so Our Lady, having lived with Elizabeth and Zachariah, the idea is, is that here she is, she finds out she's pregnant. She has this love and she spent this time with them. Well, she wants to go and return to help, to care for Elizabeth. Uh, and it would be very natural for her. They were in a respect uh, like parents, very close family relatives to her. So she, first of all, Our Lady believes the news that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit and the news of Elizabeth. And we read that pretty much immediately in Luke chapter one, it says, Mary arose as if she arose immediately from finding uh, out that or being encountered by being visited at the Annunciation by the angel Gabriel, as if she immediately goes to Elizabeth. Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed 
that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the encounter of Our Lady and Elizabeth at the visitation whose feast day we celebrate today. Now, the encounter is very profound. Right away we hear Elizabeth recognizing Our Lady as the Mother of God, uh, praising the faith of Our Lady. Uh, And there's so much with the fact that the baby John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb. That's believed the moment when John the Baptist was sanctified, receiving that gift of uh, preservation of the removal of original sin. That's the tradition of the church. And that uh, that's also, you know, when he received his mission, his mission for what he would do. And so, and Zechariah knew that there was something very special about what his son, John the Baptist, was going to be called to. We read about this also in Luke chapter 1. We read the canticle of Zechariah, blessed be the Lord, God of Israel. Uh, we could go through all of that, but a beautiful canticle if you've never read it before. Those first couple chapters of Luke are chock full of so much of the history of our family, in the Holy Family. But here's what I want to focus on when discussing the visitation today. Mary was pregnant in her first trimester, and she travels a long and arduous journey to go and take care of Elizabeth. Now, Some may like to believe and hope that perhaps Our Lady didn't experience morning sickness, exhaustion, or anything that many women experience when they're pregnant. I don't know. I don't know. Could God have spared her from that? Absolutely. But was Mary also human? Could she have experienced these things? True. So that's one perspective. I think it's important to recognize the sacrifice that Our Lady is entering into. And it's a moment, at least for me, when I hear this story It's a reminder to get over myself because here she's willing to take a difficult journey in less than ideal health conditions and in less than ideal, maybe even might I say mental state in the respect that Our Lady had to have been in shock, possibly even preoccupied thinking about what lie before her, this new pregnancy She's to be the mother of God in all of these details, this miraculous situation But what we see in the story of Our Lady personifies and embodies Mary's virtue. Her generosity that even in unique circumstances, and you could argue trying in difficult circumstances herself, that she finds her capacity to be generous toward others, to Elizabeth and Zechariah and their new baby, that that is there and present, her generosity. Uh, her gentleness toward others, I imagine, even when perhaps she felt ill. And how often do we justify for having a bad headache or not getting enough sleep, uh, being absolute jerks to people or grumpy? You know, we justify everything in the name of not feeling well. Well, here our lady is, first trimester pregnant, in shock, I imagine. And yet she's generous and gentle what she does. So she embodies the virtue of goodness, a virtue we don't talk a lot about. And we talked to little children about being good and not bad. But what does it mean to have the virtue of goodness? You see, our lady pursued goodness. She was still doing something excellent, admirable, and going to care for Elizabeth for Elizabeth. She had courage, courage to make that long journey. 
the courage uh, to step beyond herself, you know, courage is to act in the face of fear. And for many of us, fear is crippling today. It leads people to inaction or it leads other people uh, to aversions from doing the right thing. Yet Our Lady, in her courage and her boldness and her strength, chose to go and do something, even in the face of the fears she would be experiencing. And we know that she had a fear before the angel. You know, the angel often, we read when the angels appear, they have to say, do not be afraid. Of course, you know, there's that startling moment. Why on earth are you here and you're a celestial being? She had the courage in the midst of everything she was experiencing to go and care for Elizabeth. She had peace. She wasn't, and I think this one's really important. All of this is, at all, I think one virtue always feeds into another. The virtue of all virtues is love. But she had enough peace in the midst of the situation she was in that she wasn't self-indulging in her own affairs and concerns. She was peaceful enough to still think about others and to pursue others in goodness and in truth with grace. Our Lady embodies the virtues of hope and faith in this instance as well. Because one, she's believed the message of the Archangel Gabriel to be true, that she's now pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she also believes the message delivered to her as true that her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. And she goes and travels. I mean, she has enough hope and faith in this greeting from an angel that she goes and travels in this long, arduous journey in the first trimester of her pregnancy to care for for her husband, for her cousin. She has to have hope. She has to have faith. And you have to have hope and faith in what God teaches and promises in order to pursue his will. And I think sometimes that's what's so difficult in today's day and age about pursuing our faith and pursuing holiness, about going to confession, is that we don't necessarily always have the hope and the faith and what we are taught to choose to assent to it, to submit ourselves to that truth. Even when that truth isn't fully revealed to us and isn't part of mystery still. That's why the three theological virtues are faith, hope, and love. And they're theological virtues because to have theological virtues mean that these are infused graces from God. And so we need to pray for these theological virtues. And finally, Our Lady embodies joy in God's plan in her. Always having the grace to serve others. She has the grace to move forward in what she's called to do and what she can do. She doesn't have to do. Isn't that what's so difficult? There are many things we're called to do. There are many things that we could do. We don't have to do them. But grace equips us for the journey. And that is why virtue is so important. And so my question is, and this is for myself, and I hope you'll ask this as well, looking at what Our Lady embodies in terms of the virtues in her simple act of going to visit her cousin Elizabeth while Mary's in her first trimester pregnancy, has experienced all of the shock and information, she's pregnant, all of these details. By her model, I hope that we can ask ourselves and reflect on this. What needs to change in my own life to have this level of virtue? This takes some soul searching. 
and digging to see where can I serve others? What do I need to let go of? What am I preoccupied by? How do I struggle with generosity, gentleness, goodness, courage, peace, hope, and faith? What in particular of these virtues do I need to pray to God for and ask him to remove the vices from my life that oppose them? You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I'm going to come back debunking an abortion argument, pro-abortion argument, that if abortion is legal, women who have miscarriages will be punished. Also, we'll dive into the true presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in the tabernacle in light of the recent tabernacle that was stolen from a New York Catholic church this week. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Have you heard the argument that if abortion is illegal or that where pro-life laws are passed, that women who have miscarriages, that is women who experience the loss of a baby by no cause of their own, will be punished under the law? Because this argument is raging right now. It has been for the last year and a half, especially with the imminent overturning of Roe versus Wade. And let me be clear first and foremost, as we ask this question, are women being punished for miscarriages? And will women be punished for miscarriages underneath pro-life laws? No, this isn't the plan. This isn't the intention. This isn't how the laws are written. I've had people harassing me on Twitter, um, pro-abortion individuals harassing me on Twitter, saying, I don't care about the women who are being prosecuted uh, for having experienced miscarriages. And this litany of names are thrown at me. You know, one of them being Brittany, Brittany Pula from Oklahoma, Adora Perez from California, and others. Uh, the New York Times a couple years ago did a piece on how women are being jailed for stillborns and miscarriages. I was looking at a BBC article earlier today Today, talking about how American women are being um, are being jailed for having miscarriages. This is a scare tactic by the pro-abortion movement and by the media. They're using it as a false claim to argue that pro-life advocates want to jail women who suffer miscarriages, jail women who have lost a baby. First. Let me be clear that many people, many women specifically who are pro-life themselves have lost babies through miscarriage and a number of babies through miscarriage. Miscarriage is very, very common, although under-discussed. In fact, we'll post a link on social media to where I talk about uh, miscarriage, how common it is, and going through that healing process because it's such a difficult topic that not enough people discuss. So we'll post a link to that on social media. But let's tell the truth about these arguments because, again, names are being thrown around, articles being written that American women are going to jail for having miscarriages, for losing their babies. But we have to start with the truth. Pro-life laws that are being passed do not prosecute the mother for obtaining an abortion. 
So first of all, the laws aren't written to punish women who seek out abortions. Furthermore, the pro-life movement believes that women are the second victim of abortions. That is the abortion culture and the abortion industry. In an abortion, a woman is seeking out an abortion and is being aided and encouraged by other people to kill her child. This is the culture that we live in rather than helping her to choose life and have the resources she needs. The pro-life laws being passed, the legislation being written, does not punish women actually choosing abortion and does not punish women who experience pregnancy loss, the loss of a baby through miscarriage. Now, people will say, well, that's not true. And I have been going rounds on social media with some people, especially on Twitter, pulling out my hair over this because people just don't want to believe it because the abortion movement and specifically the media nationally and internationally is doing an excellent job of claiming that women who have had miscarriages are going to jail. But let's set the record straight with just two of these stories that are most commonly referred to and a little more recent. Brittany Pula lives in Oklahoma. Now, she is an Oklahoma mother who was sentenced to four years in October 2021. That is four years in prison after being convicted of manslaughter, and that is for slaughtering manslaughter and the death of her baby. The autopsy estimated the baby was 17 weeks gestation. Now, the story goes, as the case goes, Brittany Pula was taking illegal drugs before she gave birth to her dead baby. She was doing drugs, legitimate drugs. Now, this is why she was being prosecuted under law. She was doing harmful drugs that could harm her baby. And actually, interestingly enough, much could be discussed on this, laws in many states actually do punish women and do punish the perpetrators if something is done to a woman who kills her baby through drug usage, through some violent act, or if someone tries to kill her baby through a violent act, which isn't that so interesting, these inconsistencies in our law. Well, brought in, this whole issue being brought into question, um, this topic was brought into question particularly by People Magazine and others who are extremely pro-abortion, by the way, when they pointed to a toxicology report on the baby that showed that the brain and liver had tested positive for both meth and amphetamine. And so what we saw is that the baby indeed did have these hardcore drugs in his system. So at the trial, however, there was one OBGYN that didn't sway the, the court in this case, but one OBGYN that testified for the state and said that controlled substances may not have directly caused the death of the baby. And so what happened is People Magazine took this to say, okay, Brittany Pula is going to jail for four years because she experienced the loss of a baby. And those pro-lifers are trying to put women away when they lose a baby via miscarriage. That's not the case. People Magazine, the pro-abortion movement, the New York Times, BBC, all of these news outlets are lying. And supposedly, yes, supposedly the autopsy suggests that perhaps the baby might have died from congenital abnormality and placental abruption. But again, we could get back to cause and effect of the drugs, etc. 
I'm not saying that I think that Brittany Poulash should spend four years in jail. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the legal system has a system in place that when a woman does something that can harm her child, that because we believe that babies are people, that the law actually still does protect them. And wouldn't it make sense that whether a 37-year-old man was killed or a baby 17 weeks gestation is killed, that the just and right thing to do is to investigate and figure out what was done to intentionally or harm this baby? And someone say, well, she was doing drugs. Yes, drugs harm, damage, and can kill babies. So all of this said, this case of Brittany Pula is being used as a false claim that the pro-life movement, pro-life advocates want to jail women who suffer miscarriages. This has nothing to do with the pro-life movement. This has to do with a court case of a woman whose baby died and she was doing hardcore drugs that were in the system of her baby upon the toxicology report, according to the toxicology report. Let's take one more of these stories. So what we're doing right now is we're answering this argument of the pro-abortion movement that if abortion is legal, women who have miscarriages, who lose a baby, will be punished under the law. This isn't the case in the cases that they bring up, such as Brittany Pula, and now let's talk about Adora Perez in California, simply are not true. This is another similar situation. Back in 2017, the cause of death was listed for her baby via drug use. She acknowledged, that is Adora Perez, acknowledged to using methamphetamine during her pregnancy. She has spent four years in prison before her conviction was overturned. Now, her conviction wasn't overturned because she didn't do drugs that caused her baby to be killed. No, her conviction was overturned because this is a controversy of the California state law. And this is actually part of the reason why there's an abortion case or abortion um, legislation in the California state legislature right now that people are using these score stories trying to claim that women who have miscarriages are being punished under the law to try and pass these laws. I'll get to that in just a moment. So Adora Perez uh, spent four years in prison before her conviction was overturned. The California law was modified back in 1970. And this was interesting, even in the face of Roe v. Wade and all of this access to abortion, in California, it was possible under the law that it would be considered murder, the death of a baby in the womb, for, if a woman did this through drug use. And in January, the Attorney General, Rob Bonta, issued a statement that the law is only intended, intended, again, he's rewriting it, to criminalize violence done to pregnant women. So this is part of the reason why she, her conviction was overturned. The California General, Rob Bonta, said California law is clear. We do not criminalize people for the loss of a pregnancy. Again, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I mean, where the question has to be, where do we draw the line where we protect babies in the womb and defend them legally, that we do an investigation to the cause of death, or we say, no big deal, because what's happening in the state of California right now with the so-called Pregnant Persons Freedom Act of 2022 is it's a bill that is quickly passing through the legislature that was going to 
legalize infanticide, legalize killing babies after birth. Now, some of the language has been removed, so infanticide isn't as likely to be as permissible as it would have been. But what this law is about is in the name of women who have miscarriages, they're trying to pass a law that would make it so that any babies who die via legal abortion, illegal abortion, after birth or before birth, that the woman who has the abortion or the miscarriage isn't prosecuted, but also that the woman, the woman and the people who do the abortion aren't prosecuted. This isn't about women who have miscarriages. This is about deregulating abortion. This will lead to back alley abortions and the lack of regulation and safety, even for the so-called safe procedure that isn't safe. It's about access. It's about killing babies and it hurts women. And that's setting the record straight. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Wednesday is our weekly gentleman's hour, and this is your hour, gentlemen. We are talking anything and everything, questions you'd maybe not feel comfortable asking your mom, your sister, you just haven't gotten around to that you'd like to discuss. We will be joined by Jim O'Day, the executive director of Integrity Restored, and he is the man of the hour to be diving into what it means to be a gentleman. So join me Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.